Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Number 13, Mary. Chaos, you want to try the tagline? Move it. Yeah, give it up for Mary. Man, that's amazing. A little bit of help with that squirrel voice, but it worked out just fine. That's right. Hey, by way of recap, uh, we have already seen the disclaimer, not saying everybody involved in the charismatic movement of the occult, but we're dealing with it because it's getting cultish and occultish. Unfortunately, we saw that the movement itself is nothing new. This has been around for a long time, so this is not the latest movement of God's spirit, blah, blah, blah. Not true. Gibberish, what they would say is the gift of languages or tongues, has nothing to do with what the scripture says. Uh, the, the gibberish, the nonsensical stuff, is stuff that you do find in the occult, in mystery, religion, etc., blah, blah, blah. We did an extensive study on spiritual gifts because that's a major, major difference. The scripture says not all are for today, some are temporary, but they say that's all, and that's where a lot of confusion and uh, heresy comes in. Then also the aberrant behavior, that's where we dealt with the slain in the spirit, the drunk in the spirit, they're doing all kinds of weird stuff and gold dust and angel feathers and all that stuff. That's not even in the scripture. And then we've been dealing with the aberrant beliefs from the charismatic community as well. Now, the first one we dealt with was the issue of female pastors. Typically, in the charismatic community, they will say that a lady can be a pastor, and the Bible says absolutely not. Now, I know we've already dealt with that, but I just came across this quick video clip of this lady uh, who I think she puts the nail in the coffin on that issue. But let's take a look at this female pastor issue. Let's take a look. Okay, so essentially I believe that there are two qualifications for any woman preacher. And the first one would be that she know and love the Word of God, that she be a diligent reader of the Word of God. And then the second would be that she delight to obey Jesus, that she delights to be in total submission to Him as He has revealed Himself in His Word. And so when you put those two very reasonable qualifications together for any woman who wants to preach, you find out that Oh, snap, there's no such thing as a qualified woman preacher because there's no such thing as a woman who delights to be in submission to Jesus, who reads his word, who comes away thinking, I'm the one who ought to be preaching this word. Amen. Good point. Now, we've already dealt with that in great detail. Uh, but uh, I thought, man, that's a great way to put it as well. Another angle outside, again, just the primary issue that Scripture says absolutely not. But again, if you really love the Word of God and your submission to Jesus Christ, then you've got to deal with this Word that says you can't be a pastor. Right? But we already dealt with that. Then we saw the second aberrant belief was the prosperity gospel, and that's not the gospel. It's a false gospel. In fact, the only ones getting prosperous are these hucksters who are ripping people off of their cash, which is actually a warning of what would happen in the last days, a sign you're living in the last days. So every time you see one of these hucksters on TV, soul seed to my ministry, $120, and you give me this, blah, blah, blah. That's a sign you're living in the last days. Okay, We dealt with that uh, extensively. And then we dealt with, last time if you were here, the deliverance ministry issue. And this is the mindset of the charismatic community that when it comes to spiritual warfare, that you and I basically have our hands tied. Oh, no. And we need some sort of charismatic spiritual guru to come and rescue us. We're just toast without them. It's kind of like the same mindset, but in a charismatic sense, of the Catholic mindset, uh, which is false as well, that, hey, if you got a demon or you got spiritual warfare, you're, you're just stuck until the priest shows up with holy water. <laughs> It's the same kind of mindset, okay? It's not biblical at all. The Bible we saw, any individual Christian born again and dwelt with the Spirit of God has the authority in Jesus Christ. Individually, you don't need some spiritual guru to deal with spiritual warfare issues. And we also saw neither, and this is another falsehood, we don't need a spiritual guru for dealing with spiritual warfare. That's one false issue of the deliverance ministry concept from the charismatic community. But they also say that Christians can be possessed. And we saw that clearly is not the case scripturally. It's impossible. They say we need to bind and loose demons. Remember that? 
which we thought was goofy. Well, why, if that's really what that text says, and it's not, it has everything to do with church authority, has, doesn't even mention the word demon. It has nothing to do with that. But if you're going to bind something, why would you turn around and loose it in the first place? It's goofy because that's not even what that text means. Uh, it's not even scriptural, okay? And we certainly don't need to pay Bob Larson. Remember him? Pay Bob Larson. That's right. 500 bucks, uh, bucks a pop, or that's right, get a discount, all three for five ninety nine or whatever that was, uh, to take some spiritual warfare class in order to learn these secret techniques that only Bob knows how to deal with demons and spirit. No. As we saw, it's another money-making scheme, just like the prosperity gospel hucksters. These guys have figured out how to make, and he was making millions off of that as well, we saw. Now, that brings us to the fourth thing that you're going to find, unfortunately, in the charismatic community. By and large, most of them also will believe this one. And that is that, hey, that's right, folks. You can lose your salvation. Whoa, wait a second now. Now, if it's your salvation, yeah, you're going to lose it every single time. But what's the good news? It ain't my salvation. He does the saving. And when he saves, he saves completely. And when he said it's finished, it's finished. Okay. In fact, the scripture is very, very clear that when you get saved, you are saved forevermore because it is in the matter of God's hand and nothing and no one can get you out of there. Okay. Which, by the way, before we even get started in that, um, the, the, it's a straw man argument. We're probably going to deal with this for two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. Okay. And we we'll only get to one point this week. And, uh, but usually they'll say, well, you mean to tell me that God's going to force somebody to be saved? What if one day they didn't want to be saved? You mean to tell me he's going to make them go to hell? All right. Can we put that to the test? That's called a straw man argument, right? How many guys are born again Christians right now? Raise your hand. All right. How many guys are glad that Jesus paid it all and you're guaranteed to go to heaven? All right. How many guys right now would like to give that up and go straight to hell? Raise your hand. Yeah, nobody would ever do that. Give me a break. And that's the whole point. It's a straw man argument. Oh, what if you ever... But no Christian would. It's ridiculous. Plus, the scripture is clear. Praise God when you're saved, you're saved forevermore. Okay? Now, our opening text to see that is John chapter 6. I'm just going to take a look at a couple passages here and then explain the first thing that they get wrong. John chapter 6, of course, was written by... John, you biblical scholars, you. That's right. John chapter 6. We're going to take a look at verses 37 through 40. Right? And then I'm going to share on the screen, but knowing the context, it follows this passage. First, Jesus is going to say emphatically in just a couple of verses over and over and over and over again. He's being absolute about it, redundantly. And again, what's the, the, the biblical interpretation rule? Anytime God repeats himself, he's what? He's screaming it out. Right? So repeatedly he says there's no way you can lose it. But then the, our next text we're going to see, Lord willing, is he says, oh, but don't forget, not everybody who says they're a Christian really is one but he first deals with when you are real when you are a real christian praise god you can't lose it man right but let's take a look john chapter 6 starting with verse 36 jesus speaking he said but as i told you as i told you you have seen me and you still don't believe all that the father gives me what what's the first word there how many all what about some what about some that change their mind what about some of them that make a mistake what about some that sin after they get saved What's he say? What's the absolute first word, first, right here? All. All that the Father gives me might come to me, may come to me. I hope they come to me. What's the second absolute? Still in the same verse. Will, not maybe, not might. They will come to me. And whoever, which is good news because that's what? Anyone comes to me, I might, I, I, I hope, Man, I'll tell you, I'm going to get it kick-started on the cross, but the rest is up to you. Now, what's, what's the third emphatic, absolute statement? I 
will, what? Here's another one. An absolute followed by an absolute. Never. Now, what's never mean? Rhymes with never. You guys are on the ball. That's right. I will never drive away. Now, that's a lot just in one verse, and we're still going. How many absolute statements is Jesus talking about? When you come to him, there ain't no way you're getting out. And, and again, it's a straw man argument. Who would want to? Right? But praise God, he will never drive you away. Why? Because I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, the Father. And this is the will of him, the Father who sent me, that I shall lose. Well, what about those that change their mind? But what about those that sin? Or what about those that after they got saved, they get into the spiritual? What, what's, what's the next one? I will lose how many? None. He's very emphatic about it. Absolutely. Of how many? There's that word again. All. I won't just lose none. I will lose none of all. Okay, that he has given me, but again, raise him up at the last day. For my father's will is that, how many? Everyone. Well, what about those that, you know, theoretically could change your mind? They're not going to change your mind. But what about those that make a mistake after they get saved? Hey, welcome to the club, right? What does everyone imply? Everyone, for everyone who looks to the son and believes in him might have eternal life. I hope you get eternal life. You're going to have to work for eternal life. I got a kickstart. You do the rest for eternal life. What's he say? You shall, it's an absolute, again, have eternal life. And I what? Not maybe not my, I will raise him up at the last day. Now, folks, that's just a couple of verses. But again, and I was being redundant on purpose. But how many times did Jesus say emphatically, absolutely, and this is just one verse. That when you come to him, you are going to be saved and you're saved forevermore. Now, isn't that a wonderful truth? And for me, I'm going like, why would you kick at that one? (laughs) I mean, that's awesome news, man. Especially if you're honest with your own behavior, right? But this is where the charismatic community gets it wrong. Jesus emphatically, repeatedly says over and over again, you will, you shall, none, all. It's going to happen. Praise God. It's guaranteed. They say, oh, no, it's not. Now, right off the gates there, I I got a little problem with that because in essence, just based on this one verse, and there's others that Jesus mentions, but based on this one verse, you know what you just called Jesus? You called him a liar. You you twisted his words. And and that's, I got a serious problem with that. But my question to you is like, why would they do this? I mean, to me, it's very abundantly clear in scripture. Did, Did we have to go even into the Greek to figure this out? Right? Do we have to have some secret technique? Do we have to pay a spiritual guru? Do we have to buy a computer program that could find the secret code to unlock the truth of eternal security? No, it's right there. But why would they resist it and then say, oh, no, you can lose your salvation? Well, I think the first one, and this is the only one we're going to get to tonight, is they forget about, okay, they forget about the issue that the Bible talks about there are such things as counterfeits. There are counterfeit, fake, false, the scripture used the word false brothers, false prophets, false teachers, okay, pseudo, pseudo, autophos, right, false brothers, okay, uh, the scripture talks about, that means that, guess what, not everybody who proclaims to be a Christian is one, and I think this is their first big mistake, even though the scripture is very clear, you cannot lose your salvation, praise God, they say, oh, you can, and their justification is this story, you've probably heard it yourself, oh, yeah, but I know of a guy, and it's always a guy, right? And he walked the aisle, man, and I saw him, and he was saved. Or, hey, hey, this guy, he was a deacon in the church for 930 years. He helped Noah get off the ark. He's been here forever, right? No, there was this other guy, this person that served in the, there was a Sunday school. There was a preacher behind the pulpit, and he turned into an atheist. See, they lost their salvation. No, 
they look at that category, and there are categories of people that do do that, that profess to know Christ, and they say, aha, so that means they had it, but they lost it. No. The scripture says you never had it in the first place. Because when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit that happens at the moment of salvation, you are what the scripture calls sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption that is our bone in the Greek. It's God's, it means engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring that he has placed in you to guarantee that you're going to get there to heaven. He's not going to renege on his promise. The Holy Spirit is a promise ring that you're getting to heaven. That's what the Greek says, that he is there to make sure that you get there. Yes, he's there to give us gifts. We saw that before. Yes, he's there to convict us when we do sin, but he's God's promise ring. Guess what? It's guaranteed. You got the spirit. It's a permanent indwelling. You're going to heaven. Right? That's great news. But that's what the scripture says. Right? But these guys will come on and say, no, 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 no. This guy walked away. No, if he walked away or she walked away, then the scripture says they were counterfeits. And again, this is the problem. I think they look at the counterfeits who profess to know Christ and then walk away from Christ and say they lost. That's their first justification. They lost their salvation. No. And so I want to deal with that aspect. Does the Bible really talk about this counterfeit issue that the charismatic community gets wrong? Yes. And one of the easiest examples, open your Bibles back up to John 6 again, but one of the easiest examples is what Jesus now says following the passage we just read, okay? And he talks about a guy who was fake the whole time, and he was there in their midst, who? Judas, right? Judas is the ultimate example of a counterfeit. Oh, he was right there, but he was not of the redeemed, right? Now, John 6, go down to verse 63, Right? So Jesus first starts out in the context, when you're saved, praise God, you're saved forevermore. And he is redundantly uh, 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 redundant about it. It is absolutely, it's guaranteed. But he does want us to know, but guess what? Not everybody that's a Christian says our Christian really is one. So you need to pay attention to that. Right? But here's what he says, John 6, okay, uh, verse 63 through 64, and then jump down to 70 through 71. For those of you who didn't read your Bible, uh, let me uh, bring that text up for you. Here's what he says. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Okay, yet there are what? Some of you who what? Do not believe. For Jesus had known for how long? From the beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him? Right? You can fool me, you can fool the deacon, you can fool the church, you can fool somebody else, but you'll never fool God. He knew the whole time the real deal. Now again, Judas was right there in the mix. Jesus saw it the whole time. And then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Woo! How would you like to have Jesus say that about you? Not good. He says, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, in other words, he was right there in the midst, he what? was later to betray him, okay? So Jesus is the first one, right after he says, eternal security, all, everyone, guaranteed, you will, shall, not losing a little bit, nothing, everybody's getting there, praise God. Oh, but by the way, watch out for Judas people. Watch out for counterfeits. Now, they may fool you, but they don't fool me. But the scripture does give us indicators, I believe, so we can spot these Judas. Now, you got to be careful with this, okay? Because let's be honest, right? We, we, you can't push this so far and start going like, well, you know, it's, uh, I'm the fruit inspector. You know, I'm taking a look at your life there, Christian. 
And you must be a fake one, right? Because uh, I'm taking a look at your, you know, you can push it too far. Because let's be honest, if we're honest, uh, God, myself included, God could take, if he wanted to do that, be careful, don't get too big on, high on your horse. Uh, he could take a five-minute slice of our life, of some day, one day of our time since we've been a Christian, and if he were to play that before the whole world, we'd look like the biggest pagan on the planet. Which, praise God, goes back to our opening text. Aren't you glad it's secure in Christ? And that when he says all, he means all. When none's going to be lost, none's going to be lost. When you will get there, you shall get there. You will and you shall get there. Amen? Because it's a complete salvation. Everything's been forgiven, right? And the reason why we do what we do is because we love him, not because we have to. Okay? So you've got to be careful you push it too far. However, I will make the caveat that if you take a look at what the Scripture says about how to spot these counterfeits... It's going to give you some indicators. It ain't good. You're either a Christian who's in a spiritual ditch or you're a fake one. I will say this, though, and this is going to be one of the categories. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But I will say that you can confidently say that somebody was a fake if they say that they're a Christian and then they walk away from the Christian faith and say, I'm an atheist now, an agnostic or a Mormon, or I've gotten into new age or whatever. The scripture we're going to see in a little bit says, you were never saved in the first place. So that category, I think we can confidently say, no, you weren't saved. But these other ones you've got to be careful of. But the scriptures are pleased. So I want to talk about those categories of people uh, who, who do that. Okay, Because Jesus again says that Judas Iscariot was fake. He didn't fool Jesus Okay, he may fool the other apostles, but he didn't fool him. Not everyone who claims to be a disciple of Christ really is one, right? And how many times is this going on in the church today? Right? How many times do you, people, they still have the mindset, well, I go to church services. I believe in the Ten Commandments. How many times have we say it before? Going to a church service doesn't save you any more than sitting in a barn makes you a cow. Don't you like that new and improved version? <laughs> Thank you kindly. That's right. Uh, no, you could be a fake one, okay? Uh, in fact, what did John chapter 6, uh, Judas, the other scriptures also say, what was Jesus, Judas' heart really into? It wasn't into Jesus. Money. Wait a second. So here's Judas in the midst, and his heart was really only in it for the money. Do people do that today in the church? Folks, we just had a whole study on them called the Prosperity Gospel. How many of these guys are probably not even saved? Or people who listen to them, that's all they want, not Jesus, thinking that God's some big sugar daddy in the sky. Are they even saved? Because you ain't seeking Jesus, you're seeking cash. Right? So, so that, that goes on today. That certainly fits. But again, not only that, but you see that a lot of people, and I've dealt with this in every church I've ever been a pastor. Some people come to church services uh, also because they're just lonely. Some people come to church services, especially, you know, when they, they, they want to have nothing to do with God. But you know when they want, all of a sudden they start warming up to getting religious? It's when they have a child or children enter the scene. Because now it's like, well, I guess I better take them to church. I don't want them to grow up to be a reprobate, you know. At least they can learn some good morals. And that really is their mindset. They don't know Christ. They don't, they don't want to have nothing to do with Jesus, but it's just for the kids so they don't turn out too bad. Lots of people do that. I've shared this before. Here's one of them who actually admitted it. His name is Larry. Watch this. I would really call myself an agnostic. Um, I live my life the way I believe it should be lived, which is, as I said, very much uh, along Christian value lines, but... Yeah, I, I just don't, I'm not convinced, and quite frankly, I don't, uh, you know, I don't worry about it. I don't really care. I go to a church, I support the church and everything else, and 
you know, I'm very much in favor of it. You know, I believe in strong morals that, uh, you know, I have strong family values and I want to bring that up in my children. Uh, I also have a belief that, you know, my views are my views and other people believe what they want to believe and I don't want to get in arguments or try to convince them otherwise. Logically, intellectually, I have a hard time grasping that Christianity is necessarily right. I mean, why, I mean, take Judaism, for example, why isn't that just another mythology? Why isn't that, I mean, the Romans had mythology, Greeks had mythology, so, you know, why isn't Christianity just another mythology? I mean, you look at Jesus Christ and you say, had to be a phenomenal human being, a phenomenal leader. He was able to, you know, call himself the Son of God, have a bunch of disciples, and get a lot of people to believe that he was the son of God and to reaffirm their belief in God. And that then evolved historically into a, a great religion. My view of the uh, afterlife is there is none. Life ends um, when you die. And uh, you didn't exist beforehand and you will not exist afterwards. And where's Larry? Where's he at on Sundays? Who's the guy giving in the offering plate? Who's the guy who knows when to stand up and sit down? Who's the guy that supposedly, I guess, call it prayer with his kids and family? Who's the guy that wants to do the moral thing? And who's the guy that's make no bones about it? He's lost as a goose. It's Larry. And folks, I'm telling you, the American church is full of Larrys. Right? And Larryettes, if you want to do that too. All right? They're everywhere. I've dealt with them everywhere, man. I could tell you stories, but we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, everybody, I just people, it's crazy. In fact, in fact, you've heard me say this before, but um, I, I've dealt with this everywhere in that to where I used to have uh, what I called the 50-50 rule. And entering into any ministry, and hopefully our percentage is better here at Sunrise, uh, but entering into any ministry, I ought to go in with the mindset, probably half these people aren't even saved. Why? Because... This is an epidemic in the American church today, right? Right? I, 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 can I tell you something? I know Larry's teaching Sunday school classes, right? I know Larry's that are uh, deacons. I know Larry's that are behind the pulpit. I'll get to that in a second, right? This is an epidemic. Why is the American church so powerless, ineffective, and prayerless today? Why is it we ain't making a difference? Because I think we're flooded with Larry's and Larryettes, fake Christians. That's why. Because we're not teaching the word, we're not giving the gospel, it's just a good boys club. It's just a country club. It's all about numbers, just jacking it up. I ain't preaching the truth, I'm just, the successful church now is the one with the biggest numbers, at all costs. Not the truth. And this is the payoff, you're flooded with Larry's. But again, the charismatic community will look at these people, say, say, say like maybe one day, Larry says, that's it, I ain't going no more, I'm just an, I'm an atheist. What would the charismatic community say? <gasps> Larry lost his salvation. What's the scripture say? Larry never had in the first place, right? See, this is why I'm bringing this out because I think this is their first mistake. Why would they say you can lose your salvation? They look at the counterfeits and make a false conclusion, right? Uh, I've shared with you also before, D. James Kennedy, when I was pastoring in New York, uh, I read his biography out there and uh, uh, he actually had a rule. He felt that it wasn't half the church is not saved, okay, full of Larry's. He felt that 80% of the church was not saved. And I'll never forget that. 
and he was like way seasoned in years more than me at that time. He's now since with the Lord. But I'm going like, whoa, I thought I was being harsh, 50-50, right? But he explained in his biography the reason why he called out 80%. He said the reason why it's 80% that are not saved is because of the 20-80 rule that we see in churches across America, where 20% of the people do 100% of the work, while 80% of the people do absolutely nothing, And his conclusion in decades of ministry was how in the world could you sit there and say with your mouth, oh, praise God, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me by the cross, your work alone from eternal damnation and hell. Thank you for saving me. I'm going to heaven. Woohoo! And do nothing. You don't share the gospel. You don't serve in the church. If you're a true born-again Christian, you're indwelt with a spiritual gift. He wants you to serve. The scripture says you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, verse 10 says to do the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. That's why he gave you the spirit as well as the guarantee that you're getting to heaven. If you're a born-again Christian, I say it's impossible that you have no desire. To seek God, serve God, share the gospel, and and to sit there every week and do nothing. Now, again, we can get in a spiritual ditch. But I'm talking over time, nothing? Nothing changed? There's no desire? Man, maybe that's why we have the 80-20 rule. Something is wrong. Now, again, I think this has gone on so long that the Larrys have gone out of the pews and they've gone behind the pulpit. And I've shared this with you before. I've got tons of stories, but we've got a, a lot to cover. Okay, but let me share with you again actual so-called pastors who off-camera, behind the scenes, actual testimonies admitted they were fake. Behind the pulpit. I'm telling you, folks, this is an epidemic in the church today. And again, why am I bringing this up? Because the charismatic community looks at these fakers and say, well, they lost their salvation. No, they didn't. They never had in the first place. They were counterfeits like Judas from the get-go. But listen to this. Here's some actual testimonies. Now, I'm going to hit a, a many different denominations. What this? First is Wes. He's a Methodist. He, quote, lost his confidence in the Bible while attending a liberal Christian college and seminary. Well, why'd you keep going? Anyway, he says, quote, I went to college thinking Adam and Eve were real people. Now he no longer believes that God exists. Okay? He says his church members do not know that he's an atheist. This is the guy behind the pulpit. But he explains that they are somewhat liberal themselves. His colleagues are even more liberal. They don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, literally. They don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't believe all those things that would cause a, quote, big stir in their churches. Well, guess what? You ain't saved. So not just the pastor, but his colleagues aren't saved. Right? That's just one example. This is Rick. He's a a, a campus minister for United Church of Christ. He was an agnostic in college, but uh, he lost all belief by the time he graduated from seminary. Right? Uh, He chose ordination in the UCC because, quote, it required, quote, what? No forced doctrine. Basically, warm body syndrome. Come one, come all. We're dying out. My guess is because of your heresy and God's not blessing it and the spirit of God's moved on out of you. Uh, And so they're grabbing for anybody. And he says, no forced doctrine. Even as he graduated from seminary, he says, quote, he knew, quote, I'm not going to make it in the conventional church. That's why he went to a liberal one. He said he knew he couldn't go into a church and teach his own theological views. He, he does not believe all this creedal stuff about the incarnation of Christ, the need of salvation. But he remained in the ministry. You know why? Because these are my people. And this is the context in which I work. These are the people that I know. And in the pulpit, his mode is to talk as if he believes. He's a liar. Listen to this. As long as you're talking about God and Jesus in the Bible, that's what they want to hear. Besides, language is ambiguous and can be heard in different ways. He's faking it, and he admits it behind the pulpit. 
Right? I told you this before. I'm convinced that many churches want a pastor that will put them to sleep. What? I'm serious. Because most people are just playing the game. Don't preach any conviction. Don't preach the word of God. Right? And just make it sound religious. Say God once in a while, like this guy says. Say Jesus once in a while. The Bible, that. Tell some stories. Hey, let's go to lunch. For them, that's a great Sunday. But when you start preaching the truth, if you're full of Larry's, they're coming after you. Right? But I, and I'm telling you, folks, this goes on, right? Daryl, this is a Presbyterian guy. He calls himself progressive-minded, right? Who wants to see his kind of non-doctrinal Christianity. Now, that's an oxymoron. I'll say it again. What's the examples? Icy hot, peaceful war, yummy chicken. Ain't happening, folks. Non-doctrinal Christianity? What do you mean non-doctrinal Christianity? It's not Christianity then, right? He, says, he wants it given validity, though, in some way. He acknowledges that he's more of a pantheist than a theist, and he thinks that, uh, which means all is God, okay, and thinks that many uh, of the more educated members of his church hold the same liberal beliefs of his own. And, and of those beliefs or unbeliefs are stated, quote, I reject the virgin birth, I reject the substitutionary atonement, I reject the divinity of Jesus, I reject heaven and, cell and, the, uh, heaven and hell, and I am not alone. Well, guess what? You're not the only one that's not saved in the church, behind the pulpit. Crazy, folks. Daryl, he's candid, though, about uh, the reason. Why is he sticking around then if he doesn't believe it? It's about the money, right? He said it's how he provides for his family. And he says if he openly espouses beliefs, another word told me he's fake, I may be burning bridges in terms of my ability to earn a living this way. Man, you're going to stand before God, dude. Oh, and by the way, and the church, too, that hired you, and probably some people even know it as you're admitting, and they ain't doing nothing about it. Woo-wee. Adam, he's a minister of a Church of Christ, which there's problems with that anyway. Uh, but anyway, after years of ministry, he began to lose all theological confidence. He's moved fully into atheist mode now. Yet he continues to lead his church in worship. So now it's not just pastors. Worship leaders aren't even saved. He says, well, well how? How's this guy functioning? He goes, quote, here's how I'm handling my job on Sunday mornings. I see it as play acting. Er, stop right there. Do you know the word for hypocrite in the Greek? You know what it means? It's a play act- actor. He's a hypocrite. He says he admits it. I'm being a hypocrite. He said, I see myself as taking on the role of a believer in worship service and performing, you know, like a play. This atheist agnostic stays in the ministry because he likes the people and, quote, I need the job still. But he says if he had an alternative source of income, he would take it. He feels hypocritical, but now he no longer believes that hypocrisy is wrong. (laughs) Wow. John. uh Uh-oh. Where's this one at? Southern Baptist. What? The Baptists are full of fakos too? Uh-huh, folks. All right. He, he, he served uh, as a minister, but primarily as a worship leader. So apparently both, pastor and worship leader. He was attracted to Christianity as a religion of love. You know, like Larry. But his pursuit of Christianity, quote, brought me to the point of what? Not believing in God. And he explained, I, I didn't plan to become an atheist. I, I didn't even want to become an atheist. I just had no choice. No, you, yes, you did. He said, if I'm being honest with himself, well, he's not being honest with his church. He rejects all belief in God and all Christian truth claims out, hand, out of hand. He's a determined atheist. And listen to this. He puts a cap on his. He, he, he has a sellout number. He says he's staying in because of the finances, but he names his price. If someone said, quote, here's $200,000, I'd be turning my notice in this week because then I could pay off everything. In the church. Why is the American church so powerless and effective? Why is it that, man, we ain't making a dent in this world? 
Because we're not preaching the truth. We're more worried about numbers instead of God's truth, right? And because this has gone on so long, we are flood. We don't even give the gospel, right? I mean, we do here, but I'm speaking third person, obviously. Uh, but, and we don't give the gospel. So all these people are coming, and they've made their way up into the pulpit. And now they're the ones, FACOs, counterfeits, running the church. Now, again, here's my point. Charismatics will look at this and go, oh, that guy, he took $200,000 and made an announcement, well, thank you very much. Now I can leave. This was a bunch of baloney anyway. I'm an atheist. <gasps> Pastor so-and-so lost his salvation. No, Pastor so-and-so was a fako. He never had it in the first place. Again, this is where I'm going with this. Why would they say you can lose your salvation when the scripture says you can't? They look at this category of people and come to a faulty conclusion. All right? Now, uh, by the way, I've got to quote Gilbert Tennant. He said this in 1739 about phony preachers. That's how long it's been going on, folks. Unfortunately, it didn't stop with Judas. He said, I love this. He's talking about churches. He said, if they will not remove themselves from ministry, the fakos, they must be removed. And if they lack the integrity to resign their pulpits, the churches must muster the integrity to eject them. Why? Because they're fake, they're counterfeits, and they're going to lead you into a false path. And do you think you're ever going to get the truth from them? No, right? But because you refuse to do anything, the church is flooded with so many counterfeits and here comes the charismatic community going, aha, lost your salvation, lost your salvation, lost your salvation. Look at you. You were on fire at one time. No, you were fake the whole time. Now, let's quickly get into, that's just your intro. Let's get a look at some of the, 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 the aspect. How do you know, right? Because Jesus can't be fooled. Judas wasn't fooling him, but the disciples got fooled, right? Uh, but, but God's good to us. Praise God. Amen. And he gives us some signs to indicate that you and I don't have to be fooled by the Judases in our midst. All right. And I want to bring that up there. The first sign that could very well, you're dealing with a counterfeit is this, the category. They're seeking God with their head. It's just head knowledge. Well, that don't save you. And that's what James says. Let's look at this text. James 2, 14 through 17 and 19. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? He says, in the same way, faith by its what? Self, if it's not accompanied by what? Action is what kind of a faith? A dead faith. Can you be saved by a dead faith? No, it rhymes with dead. It ain't going to help you. You believe that there's one God? Good. (laughs) Even the demons believe that and they shudder. So James says that, listen, not all faith is a saving faith. In fact, not only is the term God, uh, not only is the term faith generic terms nowadays. Have you noticed that? I mean, 50 years ago, if we said God and faith, everybody would have a Judeo-Christian mindset. Not now. People say, I got faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in you, faith in the tree, faith in yourself. Faith in the Avenger movies? Because yeah, they're the new superheroes. You know, who needs Jesus now, right? I mean, faith in what? Oh, God, I believe in God. God what? God of Mars? The God of the couch? The God of your left toe? What God? Right? The New Age God? Oprah Wan Kenobi's God? Which God? They're generic terms. And he's saying, like, you can say, oh, I got faith. You just got to have faith, brother. I got faith. I believe in God. James says, you know what? If nothing's shown in your life, again, you're not saved by works. But he says, man, because remember, if you're in with the Holy Spirit, you're going to change. I didn't say overnight. I didn't say there wouldn't be a process. I didn't say you're not going to make some mistakes along the way, but you're going to change. 
But if you don't change, and it's just this head knowledge that, I believe in God, I got faith, that's a dead faith. And a dead faith will not save you. In fact, all you did, here's your, here's your great golf clap kudo moment. You're no better off spiritually than the demons. Because demons believe in God. And they shudder. Because they know where they're going. You're on par with the demons. And again, I believe this dead faith syndrome. Now, it's not this way here. But when I first got here, Pastor Tom, you know this, because you and I hashed this baby out. And then we did with the, the, the church leadership. When I got here, man, it was come one, come all. I mean, you could just raise your hand on Sunday morning. I'll remember. And you remember. Nobody asked them about being saved, were you even baptized, do you even know what the gospel is? Nothing. And then the same thing with baptism. It was like, what? You, they don't even have the word baptism out of the mouth. I like to be, okay, sign you up. It was all about numbers. Numbers, and we've we got to beat the next church down the road because we've got the most incredible. Like, These people aren't even, what? You're not even asking them to it's just get it. Folks, that goes on a lot. And, and, and we put a stop to it because I said, there's no way I'm going to dunk somebody that doesn't know Christ we got to at least have some sort of filter mechanism. Oh, and by the way, you know why things are probably a little bit messed up at that point? is because there's been no filtering mechanism. you got people that are membership that are, have voting rights in the church, and they're voting, and they don't even know Jesus Christ. No wonder things are messed up. Who, let the, who dropped the baton? Right? But praise God, we made it through that period. Okay, and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, we weren't the only ones. This happens all over the place. I believe it's an epidemic. Now, some churches get creative. I think what we did was the right thing. You put a biblical parameter in place. You want to be baptized? We've got some questions to ask you. You want to become a member? <laughs> you need to take an extended class. Because we want to make sure that, number one, you're born again. You understand what you're doing and what it means to be a member. That's not a bad thing. And by the way, even for their own benefit, would you want to knowingly baptize somebody that wasn't saved and then they leave here with false assurance? I don't want to do that. That's not loving these people. So this is an act of love. So anyway, but I think it's the right thing to do, what we did. But some churches, they resort to other gimmicks. Like this church, watch this. There were three country churches in this really small town. They were overrun by these pesky squirrels. Yeah. So the first church, you know, uh, decided to call a meeting. What are they going to do about these squirrels? And after much prayer and consideration, they determined that the squirrels were predestined to be there. And they should not interfere with God's divine will. Well, when the second church got together, they decided that they weren't in a position to harm any of God's creation. So humanely, they trapped the squirrels and set them a few miles outside of town. But three days later, the squirrels were back. (laughs) Must have been a Baptist church. The third church came up with the best solution. Here, very effective. See, how they get rid of the squirrels? Watch this. See, they decided to baptize the squirrels and register them as members of the church. You know why? Because now they only see them twice a year on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> now, that would be funny if what? It weren't true. Hey, folks, I'll be honest with you. We, I think we've got a great filtering mechanism in place, but I think we still suffer from this dynamic. How many times people get baptized? How many times did Pastor Tom bust his back and run people through a membership class and we never see him again? Now, granted, maybe you moved. Granted, maybe you found a better church. But I'm going, or was that just your way of like, well, I did my thing. If that's all you got, if it's just some mental ascent, God exists, I go to church, I did the religious thing, I got baptized. 
If that's all it is, it's a dead faith. Right? And the charismatic community looks at these people and say, well, see, they lost their salvation. No, they never had it in the first place. Right? It was just in their head. Let me give you the next one. They seek God with their thoughts. And again, this one to me nails it in the coffin, this whole hypothetical scenario. Well, I knew of a guy one time, and he was a Christian, and he served in the church, and he lost his salvation because he became an atheist. No, this verse blows it out of the water. I quote this all the time. Memorize this. Right? First John 2, 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, uh, even now many, what? Antichrist, opposers of Christ, fake Christ uh, have come. Well, how do you know that? Well, here's how we know it's the last hour. They what? They went out from us. What's the context? The church. So they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. So what's that impose? Uh, uh, suppose. They were fake. Well, how do you know if they're fake? Well, here's the acid test. For if they had belonged to us, they would have what? Remain with us. God keeps his own. That's why you're indwelt the Holy Spirit, right? But they would have remained with us. But they're going to show that how many? He uses an absolute. None of them belong to us, right? And again, this one to me nails this whole premise. Well, I know of a guy who is this and whatever, and he lost his salvation. No, the scripture says not everybody who claims to be a part of the church really belongs to the church. And if you make a profession of faith in Christ, and then sometimes, some year, could be a week, could be 10 years later, I don't care. You walk away from Christ, and I mean truly in your heart, I'm an atheist. You never belong to Christ. The Bible is very emphatic. You didn't lose your salvation. You never had it in the first place. Right? And again, you can fool us, but the moment you stand before God, if you want to play that game all the way, which I don't recommend... You're going to show up before Judgment Day, and the truth will be known. One guy puts it this way. He says this, a counterfeit Christian is like a counterfeit $20 bill. He said, for instance, let's suppose that you got a counterfeit $20 bill, but you don't know it. You think it's genuine. And sure enough, you use it, of course, to pay for some gas or something. But as soon as it makes its way to the bank, the bank teller spots the phony and says, I'm sorry, this bill is a counterfeit. Now, that $20 bill may have done some good works while it was in circulation, but when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed for what it really was, and it was immediately put out of circulation. And so it is, he says, with the counterfeit Christian. They may do a lot of good works in their life. They might do good things in the church, stack chairs, hand out, hand out those crispy corn dogs we had on Sunday. Surely that's a Christian. No offense, Kimberly, that you who handed those out, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about... <laughs> Pastor Billy said what we're saying. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> he said, so it is with the counterfeit Christian. They may do a lot of good things, good works, even in the church. But when they face Christ at the final judgment, they will immediately be rejected. The reason why they walked away is because they never had salvation in the first place. They didn't lose it, right? That's why they walked away. It's because they never had it. Let me give you a third one. They seek God with their religion. And again, this is, I think, very, very, unfortunately, popular. Uh, And dare I say, this is very interesting, even in the charismatic community. Let me explain that. Let's take a look. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Let's listen to what Jesus says here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop right there real quick. Lord, Lord, he's repeating that. So again, there's emphasis. Most people think that the day that he's talking about here is judgment day, right? And so here they are, okay, and uh, they're being raised. They went to hell, thought they were going to heaven. They ended up in hell. They're being raised before the great white throne judgment, right? And so they're out there and they're going like, whew, 
Okay, whoa. And, and then they see Jesus, Lord, Lord. And then they go into their conversation. Because they're like, what was I doing here the whole time? But listen to what they appeal to. They don't appeal to the cross. They don't appeal to God's grace. They don't appeal to his mercy. They don't appeal to Jesus. Nothing. They appeal to their religion. Right? Here's what, Lord, Lord. Right? He says, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not what? Prophesy. Pay attention to that word. Prophesy in your name. And in your name drive out demons. And perform many miracles. Who's that sound like? Charismatic community. Then Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, well, you had a good thing going there for a while, but I got it kickstarted on the cross, but, you know, you, you, guys, you guys sinned, so you lost it. Now, what's he say? I will tell them plainly, I what? Knew you once and you lost it? No, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So Jesus is saying, listen, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, really belongs to him, the Lord. Again, he's bringing out a counterfeit issue. And then he calls, and he says, listen, if your so-called faith in him is based not on him, but on pious religious deeds, and dare I say, even charismatic behavior, because we all know if you can prophesy and drive out demons and do miracles, you've got to be a Christian. No. Every single one of those we saw back on the spiritual gift sections can be counterfeited. And see, that concerns me. Again, I don't know people's hearts. But, you, you know, many times before when I've gone to this passage, pious religious deeds, I, I more explain it, and I think this fits too. People who go to church services, well, I, you know, I try to be a good person. I mean, I'm there every Sunday more than everybody else. You know, I help out when they need help out and try to be a good person. And, you know, I'll fill in on Sunday school once in a while, you know, as long as they tell me exactly everything I need to say. I have no clue what I'm talking about, Right? But, you know, that, that, you know I, I'm, a, I'm a good religious person. You hear people say that. And then you're going to hear them in judgment. They say, Lord, Lord, why don't you go to hell? I mean, I, I served in the church. I, I helped in Sunday school. I stacked chairs. Well, that don't save you. But again, here's what, in our context, what three things did he point out? People who says, but I prophesied. Can, can I translate that to you in our study? current vernacular, but I was a prophetess. I was on the road. I was an apostle. I spoke God's word. You were fake. No, no, but I, I, I took Bob Larson's class. I was a spiritual elite. I could drive out demons. I was a part of a deliverance ministry. And didn't you see that video? In, in our church, we even hacked up demons in the, the, the Kleenex. Remember that? In the bag, even the pastor. Or passed him out that way and sneezed him out. Remember that? But oh God, how can I be in hell? I mean, I drove out demons. Man, if that's what you were trusting in, that don't save you. Miracles, come on, God. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I took every class Benny Hinn offered. I was able to lay hands on people without giving them too big of a bruise on the forehead to make them smash on the ground. There was that one person who got healed of the headache. Yeah, because they smashed their elbow. It was a pain transfer. Now their elbow hurt more than their headache. You know what? But I was doing miracles. I was a Christian. Really? That's all you're trusting in. What did Jesus say? If that's all you're trusting, if it's religious deed, dare I say in our context, charismatic deeds, if that's all you're trusting in for the depth of your spirituality, 
Away from me, you evildoers, Jesus. I never knew. You were what? You were fake. Wow. And I think this is everywhere. Let me give you one, one, one more analogy. This is a good technique. How are you going to expose it? Uh, a new minister in another small town, because it's got to be a small town apparently. never happens in Vegas. He spent the first four days, he just got there, the church hired him, right? Spent his first four days calling on the church membership. Now, isn't that always a funny dynamic? I've noticed that everywhere. Church's membership is always way above who actually shows up, ever, right? Hey, how many members you got? We got 9,322, but only 37 show up (laughs) sometimes if the game's not on. And it's not humid. But we got 9,300 members. <laughs> Are you serious? Anyway, so he's calling on the members, right? He just starts, right? He begs them to come to the first service that nobody would come, no matter what he said. So he decided to place a notice in the local newspapers stating that the church was dead. And it was his duty as the pastor to give it a decent Christian burial the following Sunday. Well, obviously that got the curiosity of the whole town, so everybody turns out, right? And when they got there, they saw a coffin smothered in flowers in front of the pulpit. And so after the minister read the obituary, he delivered a eulogy for the church that had died. And he invited the congregation to step forward to pay their respects to the dearly departed in the coffin. Well, man, without a moment's hesitation, they formed this big old giant line, right? Because everybody wanted to see what in the world was in that coffin. And what was strange was, as soon as each person peeped into the coffin, line by line, one by one, uh, a strange thing happened. Each person quickly looked in, and then they quickly turned away with this really, really guilty look. Why? Because the pastor placed a large mirror inside that coffin, which meant that every person simply saw themselves. This is what's going on today, I think, in the American church. If you've got to have your arm twisted to give up your time, treasure, tongues, talents for Jesus Christ, if you make nothing but excuses as to why you can't show up, why you can't get involved, why you can't share the gospel, why you don't want to share the gospel, why you don't want to get involved, why you can't get involved, why you shouldn't have to be involved, why you're getting tired of me saying you need to get involved, all that stuff, something's wrong. You're not saved by your works, but man, if you're involved with the Holy Spirit of God... What, what's going on? Maybe it's because, oh, you're into the Christian religion. You did your Christian duty. Or you do show up, but man, it's all about the action, prophesied, demons, miracles. Woo-hoo! Has nothing to do about Jesus. It's all about you and how spiritual you are. Uh, how far can you push that? And you're fake. I don't know. But I don't want to hear those words away from me. You evildoer. I never knew you. One more. And this is another one. The fourth sign, they seek God with their lips. They give God lip service. Do people do that today? Yeah. Paul calls this one out. And this is in Titus. Titus chapter 1, 15 through 16. He says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. Because their minds and their consciences are defiled. Such people, what? Claim to know God, right? We've, we've said this before. You, you throw out general statistics across the United States of America. How many guys believe in God? Always comes out super high. How many guys, even say this, it's a generic, generic term nowadays, unfortunately. How many guys are a Christian? Always comes back a high number. But what he's saying is people claim to know God. You can say it all you want. 
But when you get specific in the polling, it drops down to about 6%. But they deny him. Well, how do you know? They claim it, but they deny it. Well, how do they deny it? By the way they live. Again, are you saved by your works? No, right? But he says this. These people are despicable. They are disobedient. And they're what? Worthless for doing anything good. Wow. Now, we can get into a ditch. I'll be the first one to admit that. Again, God could take a five-minute slice of our life. But he's talking here about people that claim, but apparently there ain't nothing changing. One of the things that really concerns me is people who claim to know Christ is there's no conviction. I mean, sin doesn't even bug them. And not only does it even not bug them, but then they want to rationalize it, or then they've even gone so far in society today to say, it's perfectly fine. And then they'll cap it with this phrase, you shouldn't judge me. Christians shouldn't judge. Read your Bible. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture says we are to judge. It's not us doing the judging. We're upholding God's judgment as the newspaper boy and newspaper girl. Because God is the one who judge. You shall not steal and murder and commit adultery and lie and covet and all that stuff. So we're just reporting what he says. So yeah, in essence, I'm not doing the judging, but we need to speak up. Jesus says you are to what? He says, of course, don't be a hypocrite when you judge right? Look at that little speck in your eye, but you got this log in yours. He says, don't do that, but keep reading. He didn't say never judge. He says, first, get rid of your what? Hypocrisy. Get rid of the log. And then what? Then you could rightly judge to see the speck and deal with that. He didn't say keep your mouth shut forever. He didn't say there was no standard. He says, when you judge, make sure it's according to God and you're not being a hypocrite. And then read Paul. Paul says what? Don't you realize, Christians, that we are going to judge? We're going to judge the angels. We're going to, is there nobody among you to judge disputes amongst each other that you would have to take your stuff to the courts? Are you crazy? We're to judge according to God's word, but it's not us, it's him. But that's what they oh, you shouldn't judge. Which basically means I can do whatever I want. I can claim to be a Christian and I can do whatever I want and that's true Christianity now. Don't tell me what to do. It's not what the Bible says. In fact, if you think you can send up a storm six days a week and go to church service on the 7th and somehow you're fine, you're fooling yourself. Can I tell you something that's very disturbing? I don't make a habit of it. I think sometimes God gives you those divine appointments, even using modern technology. I get very disturbed, even sometimes with our own church, that we know what's right. We know what's sin. And I'm not looking for it. But somehow it comes across that Facebook thread. And I'm seeing people even in our own body. And they're posting pictures. I'm going, what in the world are you doing? That's not what a Christian should be doing. That's not what a Christian should be saying. Now, again, we can all get in the spiritual ditch. But how far do you push this? And it's the reason why nothing's changing. Oh, you're claiming to know Christ. But the reason why nothing's changing is because you don't belong to Christ. That's why your deeds are worthless. That's why you've got to be begged to even get involved. That's why your behavior is despicable. It, it, it's worthless. There's nothing good about it. It's not even lining up with the scripture. And then you even want to justify it. Why? Because not everybody who claims to know God belongs to God. One guy said this. He said, the number one cause of atheism is Christians. Quote, 
Those who proclaim God with their mouths but deny him in their lifestyles are what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And again, I think the charismatic community looks at these people, you know, maybe they see him on Sundays, but they see him out in the week or see their Facebook post. I just love this book. And it's a book by Oprah Wan Kenobi promoting New Age. And then they're, say, they're not even quoting Bible verses. They're quoting, listen, New Age stuff or the Dalai Lama are like, you're a Christian? What do you do quoting Dalai Lama? It's Hinduism. How can you do that? But the charismatic community will look at that. Well, see, mother, you know, you know why they're doing that? I'll tell you why they're doing that. Because they were saved before. But it's obvious by their Facebook posts. They, they, they lost their salvation. I hope they get saved again. No, it's not saved again. The point is, make sure you're saved in the first place. You can fool me. You can fool the church. You'll never fool Jesus. But I think God gives us some parameters that we've got to be careful with. We can't push too far one way. And then it's like, oh, no. I, uh, oh, no. But then you've got to deal with it on the other How far can you sit there and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but nothing ever changes? I always say this. You got one or two possibilities. And both of them are not good. One, you're a Christian who's in a spiritual ditch. And that's not a good place to be. You need to repent. You need to come back to Jesus, to your first love, and fall in love with him all over again. And God will. He'll love you. He'll accept you, forgive you. You're his child forevermore. Come back to Jesus. Or the other option, you know why you're in that mess and you keep being in that mess? It's because you're not saved. Now, see, I don't know the heart. You don't either. And unless they sit there and say, nope, I'm an atheist, that to me is the only one in the categories that we can be confident, well, you, you were never saved in the first place. But these other ones are kind of tricky, aren't they? But my point is this. Why would you flirt with either? They're both bad. One is eternally bad. Why would you do it? And that's just common sense. In fact, it's such common sense as we close. I've shared this before. This is awesome. Even this guy knows that if you profess to know Christ, there are certain things that should line up. Watch this. I think that if you're a true Christian... You don't consider Christianity just a part of your life. It is your life. And if you follow the teachings of the Bible, specifically uh, Mark 16, 15, which says, go out into the world and preach the good news to all creation, then uh, you have an obligation to share that faith with others. If you saw a building on fire and you knew there were people in it, and you knew that you were capable of running in there and saving someone who wouldn't be able to help themselves, if you knew that you could help them, would you just stand there and do nothing? And unfortunately, by not clearly seeing the issue, I think that's what a lot of Christians do, is they just stand there. I think, by and large, most of it is that most Christians are not really well-educated as to their own religion's position on various issues. They consider worshiping Jesus to be part of their lives, but not their primary purpose. And I believe that true Christianity considers it to be the primary purpose.
And if you're a true Christian, you believe that those who are not Christians, those who have not followed the teachings of the Bible, uh, that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, those people aren't going to heaven. They're going to hell. Hell's not a fun place. I have heard Christians, definitely, uh, that have the view that everyone is entitled to their own belief. And that's not necessarily a bad position to have, but if you believe that what they believe is going to earn them a place in eternal suffering, then there's a problem with that, in that you're allowing them to be tortured for eternity, while at the same time believing that you shouldn't save them from that. It's, it's very awkward. If you really believe that uh, people who are not Christians are going to hell, then that is a, a very serious consequence. And if you don't take that seriously, I think that you might be compromising your own belief system. Those who do take their faith seriously, they need to encourage or teach those who might not how important that is. Sometimes I think Christians are afraid of being labeled as a Bible thumper or uh, to have uh, negative connotations associated with them. But that's not necessarily negative if you're a Christian. I think it's something to be proud of. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you're a Christian about the Bible or being a Bible thumper. It's something to be proud of. It's something that you take seriously. And it's something that you should encourage others to take seriously as well. And it might require you to challenge yourself to, you know, stand up in front of crowds, to talk to people that you don't know. Missionaries work in places uh, where the predominant religion is not Christianity. And that's a completely different scenario uh, than, you know, in most parts of the United States. But they, they take it in stride, they accept it, and they move on. You shouldn't take rejection personally, but consider it uh, that you gave them a fighting chance. Give them a fighting chance at heaven, uh, even, if, even if you do have to uh, risk offending someone or risk a friendship. Uh, it's a simple matter of weighing priorities. If I were a Christian, of course I would take the Bible seriously. I respect people who take their beliefs seriously and I would take the Bible's teachings seriously. Among those teachings is the idea that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And those that accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior go to heaven, those that don't go to hell. And the implications of that are very far-reaching. And you're an atheist? Yes, I sure am. You can claim to be a Christian all you want. It's really not that hard to understand. Even an atheist knows if you claim to be one. But there's a whole different story going on over here. You're fake. Atheists know that. And what's sad is you're risking eternal damnation in hell. Why would you do that? Oh, maybe it's just the spiritual ditch but maybe it's not. And I'm not here to get anybody to cast out because once we're saved, praise God, we're saved forevermore. That's the theme. But if you ain't sure, you better get into God's word and you better make sure that what you're trusting in is solely the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? But it's these people 
that even atheists know are out there, that the charismatic community looks at and goes, See, told you. Told you you can lose your salvation. Look at him. Look at her. They started out so good and they went south. They blah, 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 blah. No. They were never saved in the first place. They forget about the counterfeits. Lord willing, next time we're going to see, they also forget about the context. They forget about the corruption of man. They forget about the atonement of Christ. And dare I say, they forget about common sense. Let me give you a teaser. Uh, Eternal life means eternal. How does that which is eternal become uneternal? Use this phrase, when you get truly saved, you are born again. All right? How many guys realize that that's an irreversible procedure? When you're born, you can't get unborn. Now, you can die, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the birth process. That when you're out, you're out for good. How do you reverse it? And the Bible uses terms, common sense terms, to describe our salvation. Once it happens, praise God, it's forevermore. And then, of course, they forget about the clear passages. We just saw one. That praise God, when you're saved, mm-hmm, you're saved forevermore. You ain't got to worry. Amen. And when you do fumble and bumble, praise God, it's complete. Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could 
bridge the gap and have a relationship with him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.